0: Before I start with the message that I'm going to share, uh, if you want to write down a scripture, uh, Glenn had this scripture as uh, I was sharing at the end of the worship. Uh, It's in Jeremiah 17, and I'm going to give you two verses, verse 7 and verse 14. Jeremiah 17, I should say, and verses 7 and 14. It says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. And then verse 14 says, Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For Thou art my praise. I think two scriptures to encourage us and to challenge us in our faith and where we put our trust. And it kind of goes with what we have been talking about the last few weeks because we've been talking about this cycle of victorious giving and giving and generosity versus selfishness. And giving and generosity is a totally dependent upon our trust in God. You know, we talked the first week about, you know, trusting to live. We have to trust God for our salvation. We have to trust Him for our very life. We trust Him to live. We trust that everything that we have is His. He's given it to, given it to us to steward it, to do with it what we feel prompted to do with it by His Spirit, and what we know to be right according to His Word. And the next week, it was commit to grow, to grow in our faith. You know, as we, as we commit to, to trust in God, immediately we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged by two things. One, the enemy, and then two, us, our own mindset. Do we really believe, and can we act on, and are we, will we commit to do what we know we're supposed to do? and how we're supposed to live and act. And then third was delighting to give. When we give out of our right heart, when we give for the right reasons, of our time, our talents, our treasures, when we open ourselves up to be a generous people, it's a delight. We are oftentimes way more blessed than those that we would be reaching out to to bless. So this week, it's, the title of the message is Rest or Resting to Inherit. Resting to inherit. In Psalm 37, the first seven verses, I'm only going to read verse 7. But we've been reading them each week. And I encourage you, if you haven't read them, read Psalm 37 and really meditate on it. You want a good devotional. Go through that chapter. But verse 7 says, "...rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His own way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass." And I'm going to use that word wickedness a couple different times in scriptures that I read, but we need to understand something. Because when I hear that word, or you maybe hear me say that, wicked people, we're thinking about some evil ogre out there that's committing the most atrocious crimes and sins. We need to redefine that. God sees all who do not know Him as their personal Lord and Savior as wicked. They are separated from God. Even the best things that the unsaved do will burn. Understand this. We are righteous because of Christ. We were wicked before we accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Sometimes we miss the significance of some of these scriptures we read because we put in this little box over here wicked people. You know, try to put aside personalities of people. There are some really good, kind, loving, wicked people. I know a lot of them. I'd like to think I was one when I was still wicked. I'd pray that I am one now that I'm not wicked. But we need to understand that going forward. I want to start with this story. It was uh, written in Dr. Bruce Lockerbie's book, and it's a true story, and it's about a world-class runner, a world-class runner who lived in New York City. She was one of the elite runners in America, and she was invited to run in a race up in Connecticut. Well, on the East Coast, it's a little bit closer to get from one state to another, so the day of the race, she got up in the morning and she got in her car and was going to drive up to Connecticut to run in this race. She had received the instructions via telephone and figured she was on the right path. And she's into Connecticut and she's driving and she realizes, I don't have any idea where I'm at. I'm totally lost. It should be here somewhere. So she stops at a gas station and she's talking to the gas station attendant and she says, can you help me? I think I'm in the general vicinity I'm invited up here to run in a race, and all I can know about the race for sure is it starts, the starting place of this race, this over-the-road race, is in the parking lot of a mall. Well, the parking garage attendant told her, he says, you know what, I know exactly where you're supposed to be then. You just need to go up the road a few more miles and take a right, and you're going to see the mall, and you should see people there for this race. I've heard about the race myself. So she gets up there, and by the time she gets there, it's crunch time, it's late. They're registering, she runs up to the registration desk and tells them who she is. And the guy registering the runners is a little bit shocked, and she's surprised he's so shocked, because he's shocked that such an elite runner would come to their race. But there wasn't time to have any conversation. He says, quick, put your your number on, and get over to the starting line, and you can participate. We're glad you're here. She gets over there and she looks around and she's a little surprised. She doesn't recognize as many of the runners as she thought she would. The gun goes off and they take off. And needless to say, she wins the race. As a matter of fact, the second-place finisher was a man and he was over four minutes behind her in this race. And she didn't really realize what had happened. But she discovered as they were handing out the awards that the race she was supposed to be at was several miles further up the road. She'd gone to the wrong starting line, she'd ran the wrong course, and she missed her chance to win the prize. Because when he gave her her little first place medal, she was expecting an envelope with money, and lots of money, to win this big prize. Wrong race, wrong course. Didn't matter how she'd done I want to read a quote to you, and it's a little bit of a longer quote. But it's written, this quote was from a man by the name of Richard Baxter. I'm shocked if many of you have heard of him. He died in the 1600s. He was an English Puritan church leader. So a couple of the words might not be words we're as familiar with, but listen to what he says. He said, It is a most lamentable thing to see how most people spend their time and their energy for trifles. While God is cast aside, he who is all seems to them as nothing, and that which is nothing seems to them as good as all. It is lamentable indeed knowing that God has set mankind in such a race where the finish line is either heaven or hell, and the end is certain." And they should sit down and loiter, or run after childish toys of the world, forgetting the prize they should run for. Were it not possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does, and see what most men and women in the world are interested in, and what they are doing every day, it would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament their self-delusion. If God had never told them what they were sent in the world to do or what was before them in another world, then they would have had some kind of excuse. But it is sealed in the word and they profess to believe it. Wrong race, wrong course, major disappointment with the prize. Another man, a very short quote, Norman Wilson, said this, Most people in the world look to the future and see a hopeless end. The believer looks to the future and we see an endless hope. Way too often, we're like the world. I'm going to read that again. Most people in the world look to the future and see a hopeless end. But the believer looks to the future and sees an endless hope. That should be us. And, I, you know, we've got to be encouraged. We've talked about this morning in adult Sunday school and pre-service prayer. You know, if you're watching what's going on in the world, it looks like a hopeless end. But really, for a Christian, it's an endless hope. The victory's already been secured through Christ. There are great rewards promised for you and me as believers. Great rewards. I'm going to just read real quickly four or five scriptures to you. For those that like to take notes, 1 Samuel 26, 23. But the scripture is this, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. Jeremiah 32, 19. Great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. It's speaking of God. Your eyes are open to all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and as his dese- as his deeds deserve. Psalm 17:14: "O Lord, by your hand, save me such m- from such men, from the men of this world, whose reward is in this life." Proverbs 11:18, "The wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward." And Matthew 5:12, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven." I know I went through them quickly. We sometimes get our eyes on the world and we look at all these successful people and we go, gee, they're not even believers. What's, that doesn't make sense. They've got all this stuff, all these things, all these blessings. We're confused again. In God's eyes, they mean nothing. Nothing. He's looking at that and sees the deeds of wicked men and wicked women because they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But as Christians, the promises of rewards are throughout Scripture. I could have went on and on and on. Now as a Christian, the first and greatest reward is our salvation. We will spend eternity in heaven. It is the hope of the future. That's where we're going to go. But you know what? For a Christian, it's a win-win situation. The Bible makes it clear over and over and over again. Now first I'm going to back up and say these words. Your salvation is by grace through faith alone. Period. However, the good news is, there are rewards. And for a Christian, there are rewards here on this earth. Blessings for obedience. The Bible tells it over and over and over. God blesses His people who obey His word. When we do right things, when we follow the biblical principles, blessings occur. That doesn't mean our life is smooth as glass. We have tough times. It's a roller coaster at times. We go through trials and testings, those mountains that need to be moved in our life. And we need to understand that it's all part of a process. God will use it for good for his kids. We need to trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Keep our eyes on him. When Peter was sinking and he screamed, God, save me. In my mind, it doesn't say this. In my mind, in the Bible it says, God immediately reached out. And in my mind, I see Peter grabbing his hand and hanging on for dear life. And that's what we need to do. Too often, God's right there waiting to rescue us. But we won't grab hold. Because of what he is extending towards us isn't what we expected. Or isn't what we wanted at that moment. For a Christian, it's a win-win deal. Blessings. Eternal blessings. And once we get to heaven, and I can't go into all this into detail, but once we get to heaven, guess what? There are rewards for us there too. I don't know what they all are. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it tells us there's rewards. We're all going to get a crown of glory, right? Amen. I want mine to be so loaded with jewels that it hurts my neck. Except there will be no pain in heaven. (laughs) Praise God. But I don't know what the rewards really are. But don't you, I mean, if I get one, anybody who gets one, anybody who gets the crown, we're going to be so happy it doesn't matter. But the reality is, there are rewards for us in heaven besides our salvation. So it's a, it's a no-lose deal for us as Christians here on earth in this life. And when we begin to understand that we can count on God's promises, write down First 1 Peter 1, 1.3 if you're taking notes. I'm going to just read it quickly and not develop it. But praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, First 1 Peter 1, 1.3. In this great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, it would be great if it stopped there, but it doesn't. It goes on and says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, or never fade, kept in heaven for you and me. That's a guarantee. What a guarantee. This reward is not something that's going to be diminished. It's not going to depreciate. It's not going to wear out. None of those things. And when we begin to believe this truth, We will find spiritual rest. And the world wants spiritual rest. They don't know what it is they want. They think something else can fill this void, meet this need, remove their anxiety, their worries, their fears. It won't. You and I as Christians should be able to be at rest, even in the midst of the trials and the things that we have to go through. Paul said this. I love this scripture. In 2 Corinthians 1, 19. If you've never read this scripture before, grab a hold of this one. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me, this is Paul talking, and Silas and Timothy, Timothy, that's three pretty good preachers, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That's pretty cool if you believe the Bible's true. With God, with his promises, there's not a yes or no. There isn't a maybe. It's yes. When we follow what he lays out for us, we live by his principles, live by his commands. It's yes, 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 yes. Lord, you promised this. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's yours. Yes. Yes. Wouldn't you love it when you were a child if your parent was like that? No, you wouldn't. Hebrews 11.6 Anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and then He rewards them who earnestly seek Him. It should be clear from the scriptures that I went through very quickly, God has promised you and me rewards. This is a little bit of review, but we need to remember, one, God's rewards are in His time frame. A few weeks ago I mentioned due time. In due time, God meets our needs. Don't get impatient. Number two, rewards are not always given in the form of money or material things. So often that's what we are asking for when we're asking for his blessings. We could go on, but there are so many good things. Psalms 84, 11, the Lord bestows favor and honor and no good thing does he hold back. What are the good things? If you spend some time, sit down and write down, what are some good things that God has blessed me with? What are some of the good things? The fruit of the Spirit, those are good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, right on through all nine of them. They're good things. But we don't have to get that spiritual. How many of you love a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise? Some of us even like a full moon. Some of us are so blessed by family, friends. The list could go on and on and on and on. The good things that God blesses us with. And we need to remember this. Rewards are not for hoarding. Everybody know what hoarding means? You know, I'd be like, I, I promise you, you, know what? I'm going to give you a million dollars over the next ten years for you to just bless people with. And I give you the first down payment of $100,000, and I come back and you still got $100,000. Do it another year and you come back and it's two and I do this and at the end of that there's a million dollars in your bank account. All you've been doing is hoarding. The blessings I've been giving you are supposed to be going out to those that I bless you so you can be a blessing to give. We don't want to hoard. Galatians, it says this in, in 6.10, whenever we have the opportunity we should do good for everyone. When you have an opportunity... Don't always look for them as opportunities to pray. Look for them as opportunities to do what you know should, you should do. When they pre- pre- present themselves to you. When we give generously of our time our talents, our treasures, it's evidence of our trust in God. It shows that we trust Him. There's a very interesting proverb, 1970, it says, He who, who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord... And he will reward him for what he has done. How in the world do you lend anything to the Lord? He owns everything. Well, we lend to the Lord when we pass it on. In verse Proverbs nineteen seventeen, he who is kind to the poor leads, lends to the Lord when we, we give his resources back and put it into circulation instead of hoarding them. The cycle of victorious giving. We give, we receive, we give, we receive give, receive, give and receive, give and receive, give and receive. A cycle that goes on continuously. And it's not just in the area of material goods. Need a friend? Be a friend. The best friend you could ever have is Jesus. You want to have a friend? Plant seeds of friendship. There is a friend who sticks closer to a brother, it says in Proverbs 18:24. That's Jesus, the best friend you can ever have. But it's amazing the people that I talk to that says, I don't really have any friends. I ask them, who have you been trying to become friends with? Well, no one. Really? Let's sit down and think this through. Approach people. Don't sit in the back corner and wait to be approached. They need a friend as much as you need a friend, as much as I need a friend. Need a job? Work hard and be loyal. Plant seeds of hard work and loyalty. I tell my kids, you want a job, you'll never have to worry. Work hard at whatever you do and be loyal. Be committed. Those things don't exist much anymore. People are looking for people that are willing to work hard and be loyal. And God tells us to work hard and be loyal. He says, All hard work brings a profit. Merely talking about it brings poverty. God, there's a lot of people who talk about working hard until the opportunity shows itself. You want God's blessing? Invest in the lives of other people. He will reward you as you bless others. It says in Hebrews 6.10, God will not forget your work and your love that you have shown in Him as you have helped His people. You won't forget. You want to mature spiritually. Have you ever said to yourself, or maybe you've even said it out loud to someone else, boy, I, I, wish, I wish I was as mature in, as you are in my Christian walk. Or I sometimes think, boy, I wish I was as mature as them, as, as they are. Wouldn't that be great? Well, give your heart to the Lord. You know, He promises, draw near to Him, and He will draw near to you. You want His presence in your life? Draw near to Him. You want to spend time with the Lord? Sit down. Invite Him to come and talk to you. I mean, think about that with people. You want to spend time with someone? Best way to do it is contact them. We need to do these things. He will reward us for these things. When we choose to trust in God's truth in His rewards, He gives you spiritual rest. And that's what we really, really, really are hungry for as a people. Resting in the Lord. Most of us grew up in churches and denominations where we at least knew the 23rd Psalm. Or maybe we at least knew the first verse of the 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23.1 is, The Lord is my shepherd, I I shall not want. Do you believe that? Just think of that. God is my shepherd. I I don't need to worry about anything. I don't need to fret. I don't need to live in anxiety and fear continually. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We trust in the Lord. And we do this, we experience spiritual growth. We experience stability in our lives. Obeying the principles of God works, including the principles of giving. Giving. We need to get our eye off of our favorite person, self, and unto Him. When we change our focus, get our eye off of ourselves, generosity, we will become more spiritually mature, and we will find a spiritual rest. And what really helps us is to understand: is that God has an eternal plan. Eternal plan. We start to see things in light of eternity. When we have an eternal view of things, we begin to understand that focusing on the eternal brings me peace. When I sit down or you sit down and you watch the news, I don't recommend it, but if you do, all kinds of anxiety, fear, worry, all the evil that's out there, and it just starts to be a burden Switch your focus to the eternal plan. Jesus is coming back. We're going to spend eternity with him. Yeah, we pray about these things. We need to do all we can to help people. Absolutely in this world. But it's provided millions of opportunities for Christians to be blessings. We need to look from an eternal perspective. And we will find spiritual rest, spiritual peace. But it never comes without a price might have heard this before. I believe it's biblical. At least the principle is. Anything worthwhile is going to cost you something. Anything. There's an interesting story that I can't go into because of time, but some of you may be familiar with it. David was king and things were bad for Israel and he wanted to build an altar and pray to God. And he went to a man who owned a wine press and some land. He says, I want to buy your land. I want to buy your wine press so I can build an altar to God and worship. And the man said, oh, king. Have my land. Have my wine press. It's yours, O oh king. Please just take it. And David says, No. No. I will not sacrifice anything to the Lord my God that doesn't cost me something. It's going to cost us something, it's going to cost us obedience. We're going to have to say no to things of the world. But the eternal rewards are so, so much greater. If you read through the Bible stories that we've been going through in the last year, basically, of the story, you'll see over and over again people who receive great blessing on the front side, it cost them something. It cost them something. So I want to close this series with this challenge. And basically what I want to do, I want to encourage you to challenge yourself. And what I want you to challenge yourself to do is first of all, review God's gifts to you. Really, you can't worship God unless it's coming out of a grateful heart. Start thinking of the good things that He's blessed you with. Then I encourage you to ask yourself about the motives of your heart. What's your attitude? What are your motives when it comes to giving and generosity? Giving of your time, your money, your gifts, talents, whatever. Whatever. Third, reflect on your personal faithfulness. How faithful are you to what God has entrusted you with? He blesses us to be a blessing. And, and fourth, you will get into the cycle of victorious giving. You will find that it's, it's, it's such a blessing. It becomes natural. You, you get to a place where you don't have to worry and wonder, should I or shouldn't I? we get in that cycle where we trust God, which brings us life. We commit to grow in our faithfulness to our giving and our generosity. And it becomes such a delight. You know, the, the, the Word of God says the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? To some of us, that's like a foreign concept. The only difference between the offering plate and the usher and the thief in the bank is one's not got a gun we feel about as uncomfortable. Isn't that crazy? But it's true in so many ways. And then we will enter into the rest that God has for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we've been looking this past few weeks at generosity, that you've spoken to our hearts in such a way that we understand that there's such a bigger plan and a bigger purpose to it that your desire is for us to live generous lives in every way, that we can be a blessing, that our generosity represents your generosity in offering Jesus as a sacrifice to die for us. What an amazing gift of generosity that brought great rewards to all of us. God, forgive us of our selfishness, confict us in those areas of our lives where we are holding on to stuff way too tightly. God, I thank you for the blessings and the abundance that you pour out upon us as a people. God, I pray for those that are here today that there is a mountain in their life that needs to be moved. It might be relational. It might be financial. It might be a health-related issue. God, you are faithful. We pray that you will minister life to our very souls. And Lord, I pray now that you will bless the food that we are about to eat. We pray your favor will be upon Peter and Tanya and on Jaron as they are preparing for their mission trips you're calling them to. We pray that you would give us a general spirit, generous spirit, as we give today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.